Hi, and welcome to Five Compelling Questions with Sean. This is the podcast where we talk with writers about the writing journey and um, creativity and how we uh, came to be writers and all the things that sort of go along with that. And it's been real fun to get to know authors in this format. And I'm very excited today to have um, an author that I've worked with, Mark Levinson. How you doing, Mark? I'm doing great. Hope you are as well. Yeah, yeah, hanging in there. That's all we can do, right? Beats the alternative. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Um, so I'm going to do a brief introduction to Mark, and we will talk about um, your new book that just came out, your most recent book that came out, which is titled The Hidden Saint, right? Yes, yes. What's The Hidden Saint about, real quick? What's The Hidden Saint about? It is about a version of our world in which 3,500 years of Jewish myth and magic is all real. So it's, it's, a, it's a hero's journey, hero's quest story set in a world that readers have never encountered before in fiction, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, it's a unique book for sure. And it's really, 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 really well-written. Um, I kept feeling like I was reading like the next Lord of the Rings kind of thing when I was reading it. I really loved it. I do love it. It wasn't- it's not I, describe it, I describe it as Fiddler on the Roof meets Lord of the Rings. Yeah, well, I didn't know that, and I picked up on that as a Lord of the Rings fan. So, <laughs> all right. So, Mark Levinson is an award-winning dramatist, screenwriter, and short story writer, as well as a longtime journalist. Levinson's novel *The Hidden Saint*, which we were just talking about, is the culmination of his more than twenty years of engagement with Jewish folklore. Uh, Levinson began his career as a reporter for the Miami Herald and Dunn's Review. Um, I grew up in Fort Lauderdale and my mom worked for the um, Miami Herald as well in advertising and the Fort Lauderdale newspaper. So I was when I saw that, I was like, oh, we have something in common. There's a connection, yep. Yeah, for sure. South Florida, no place like it. He has written for the New York Magazine, the Philadelphia Inquirer, the Forward, the Jewish Week, the Associated Press, Puppetry International, Stevens Magic, the American Kennel Club Gazette, the Oregonian and others. And I love that list because it's so diverse and you can sort of see like your different um, interests going on in that list there. Although you know what they say real. about it. You know what they say about a jack of all trades, but okay. <laughs> the master of none. I don't believe that. I think you are a master. Okay. I think you're a master. Okay. I think you're a master of all trades. <laughs> all right. I'm gonna go with that. He heads the marketing and PR firm, The Levinson Company whose clients have included Amazon, Microsoft, Intel, and Cigna. Uh, Levinson served as Director of Press Relations for the Wharton School at Penn and Director of Public Relations for the Oregon Art Institute. He also served on the boards of the Jim Henson Foundation and the American Jewish Committee. And I loved mentioning that one because I am a University of Maryland grad and um, you know, we're very proud of Jim Henson. So you have, yes, you have the Henson connection. Yeah, so we got Florida and Henson, you and I. We could be the same person. We maybe. might be the same person. <laughs> Quite. Uh, Quite. Or maybe or maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Hey, well, I I find that if you talk to someone, my theory is you talk to someone for 20 minutes, you'll find something, some con some connection in any for anyone that you meet. There's some connection. Um, that's just my theory. I like to practice it. Um, this that this is when we get into the fun parts of the bio. Perhaps Levinson's, well, it's all fun, but these are these were very interesting to me. Okay. Perhaps Levinson's interest in fantasy and folklore are in his blood. His paternal grandmother was a magician, Light Fingers Ida, 
she sounds like a lot of fun, uh, whose tutelage sparked his lifelong interest in magic. His great, great uncle on his mother's side was a strong man in a Russian circus who could hold back galloping horses and survive sledgehammer blows by peasants who smashed rocks on his chest, except for the last time. But, but I got a story out of it, so it's okay. <laughs> you sound very, your family is very colorful. I'll just put it that yes, way. Sledgehammer, yes, sledgehammer blows to the chest. My goodness. Lord. Um, although Levinson's physique gives no hint to, of his lineage, it was a circus sideshow that sparked another lifelong interest, that of puppetry. Um, Levinson writes for and about puppet theater, was guest curator and catalog author for the exhibition Winter Circle at the Center for Puppetry Arts in Atlanta, and a contributor to the World Encyclopedia of, Puppet World Encyclopedia of Puppetry. That's a tongue twister. He was the featured Punch and Judy performer at the Philadelphia Festival, marking the 250th anniversary of the first performance of that classic puppet play in America. Levinson uh, graduated from Cornell, and he lives in Westchester County, New York, with his family. So there is a lot going on in your mind and your past and your lineage. And <laughs> yes, there is. And after after all that, do we have any time left for an interview, or is that just uh, we're we're going to sign off here? I I hope we haven't run out of time. No, we're good. We're good. We're good. We. Okay. Um, I just want to edit that thing down. <laughs> well, I, I actually did pare it down for this, but I wanted to keep those um, <laughs> points of interest about your family because I just found that so fascinating. I found, and I think it speaks to why you write what you do. I mean, I feel like you have, you know, it's sort of, I think some of that stuff comes down from the family. It's like, you know, you had family Absolutely. members that were magicians and involved in, you know, performing and being out there in theaters telling stories because performance is telling a story. So I think that, you know, I think it was important to include that in your bio. I think it's really cool. Yes. And now here we are. Okay. So question number one, how did your writing career get started? Uh, well, you mentioned, you mentioned everything about me that's possible to mention. Uh, you mentioned that I, I got my start in journalism, which is uh, true. And I'd wanted to be a journalist since uh, high school. And you know, high school paper, college paper, and and the only jobs I've had have been as a writer, one one way or another. And the first job was the the Miami Herald. And it's actually amazing that I'm that I continued to be a writer after that because um, uh, what ended my career at the Herald was uh, one night when I was out on uh, Key Biscayne, you know, you're starting out, you get the lowest assignments. So I think I was a school board reporter or something like that. And and there was a school board meeting uh, down on Key Biscayne and my, like a bad B movie, my car had broken down earlier in the day. So I'd taken a cab out, covered the meeting, and and was waiting for a cab to get me back to the Herald to uh, to write up the story, and I was standing under the only street lamp on a somewhat deserted street. It was late at night by that time, and unbeknownst to me, the the house uh, in the house across the street were, were a group of of Cuban refugees who were plotting to recapture Cuba from Castro. Apparently, this was a big thing. Lots of people did that. Uh, I did not know this. Anyway, one of the they they saw me and assumed I was spying on them. And one one guy came out 
yelled something in Spanish, a language I do not understand. And then I saw his arm come up. And I can report that when someone fires a gun at you, there really is a bright flash because I saw it and heard it. And uh, the guy was shooting at me. So I, I ran uh, as fast as I could. And there was a, a, another reporter, a colleague of mine who, who lived not too far away. I ran to her house and that's the night I learned to drink scotch neat. Um, we called the police and the Herald in that order. And my editor at the Herald was furious that I called the police first. He said, you call the Herald first, then you call the police. And uh, I said, well, you know, first time being shot at, didn't know the protocol. I'll, I'll have it right for next time. And uh, but that was uh, that was when I uh, hot-tailed it out of, I will admit it, I was a coward. 19-year-old, uh, whatever, uh, uh, cub reporter and uh, hot-tailed it to New York and took a job at Dunn's Review, a financial magazine, where the uh, the most dangerous thing people ever waved in my direction was a rolled up 10K. So it was a very different different environment, much more, much more peaceful environment. I bet. Wow. That is the story. That is something I don't, wow. I'm glad you're okay. I'm glad that wasn't the end for you. <laughs> right. Glad right. That guy was a terrible shot. Yes. What a nightmare. What, um, what kind of time frame was that? Did that happen in? Was it at the eighties or? Uh, that, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we could say it's the eighties. Uh, that would be okay. Uh, it was actually the, the very late seventies, very okay. late seventies, the end of the seventies. I was living there then. I was a child, but I was living there then. And I remember it was, it was kind of dangerous. Some, it was dangerous down there um, at times, depending. Lots going on in Florida all the time. Um, so well, I'm glad you're okay. Next question. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> Do you have a favorite character you've written? If so, what is it about that character that you enjoy so much? Yes. Um, in this novel, I think my favorite character is uh, Shayna. Uh, she's an elderly housekeeper, and she's the kind of woman that 99 people out of 100 would, would pass by her and think her completely unremarkable. A little old lady, she takes care of a senile rabbi. Uh, and unbeknownst to our hero, although beknownst to us, which is why I don't mind, it's not, it's not spoilers because we're, we're ahead of the protagonist on this one. Um, she is one of the 36 hidden saints, hence the title, uh, one of the 36 hidden saints who in traditional Jewish folklore are necessary for the world to continue. The, 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 the legend is that there are 36 righteous men and women, and in their merit, God allows the world to, uh, to continue. So I figured what would be the prototypical image of such a person, and then I wrote completely the opposite. Uh, so um, first off, I like that she's a strong woman. She's not a man, and, and uh, I figured there's no reason that uh, although some of the legends talk just talk about them being 36 men, uh, there's no reason it couldn't be a woman. Why not? And so she's she's a strong woman. 
Uh, in fact, that's one of the mistakes that the, the Rabbi Adam, the protagonist, uh, protagonist makes. He assumes that the righteous person uh, had to be a, a, a man, and she corrects him on that score, uh, which is one of the things I like about her. She says exactly what she thinks, and she says it with uh, some snap and crackle, and she's a sassy old lady, and she's funny, uh, but she's deeply, deeply caring as well. And uh, I liked all those those threads in her in her tapestry. Yeah, well, they it works well. It definitely works well. Um, yeah, well, that you you are correct. That's a very good answer, and that's the perfect character to choose for that question. I like that. <laughs> I like how you write again. I studied. I studied up. Yes, yes, you read your book. <laughs> yes, I'm cheating right now. I have a crib sheet in front of me. I'm cheating. <laughs> uh, don't don't tell him. Don't tell the proctor. <laughs> you sound very um, like you're not cheating. You sound like you know no, that. I'm not. I'm, I know. I'm uh, what were some of the challenges you faced while writing this book? Um, the big challenge in writing this book was something that no how to write a novel book prepares one for, which is um, this story started life as a screenplay. I wrote it. I wrote it as a screenplay. Uh, it won an award. I talked with with uh, people uh, about. Uh, carrying it forward, getting it produced. And I was told repeatedly that it's a great story, it's a great screenplay, but it will never, ever, ever be produced because it's both an effects picture, which is expensive, and a period picture, which it takes place in 18th century Eastern Europe. So each of those by themselves are expensive, together double expensive. And since this isn't based on an existing uh, popular property, it's not based on a comic book, it's not based on anything like that, uh, that it didn't have a built-in audience and it would be extremely tough to get investors. So uh, normally that would be the end of the story, but I really, really love the story. I love the characters. I love what they're going through. I love the idea of sharing this world of Jewish folklore, not just with a Jewish audience, this wasn't really written for, for a Jewish audience per se, it's written for anyone who loves a great story. You don't have to come to this with any kind of background or knowledge or belief or anything else. Uh, it's accessible to everybody uh, and, and I wanted to tell it. So I figured what's my plan B? Well, I know there have been Jewish themed novels uh, uh, published and you know it doesn't a page of, of 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 a book doesn't cost any more if it's a sci-fi or fantasy story versus uh, you know a, a realistic story. So my plan B was a novel, and and uh, I then had the challenge of translating what was originally a screenplay into a novel, which I think is a fairly unusually you're writing a book. It's an original idea. And you have to develop the idea and you're developing it in the language of the novel. This had already matured in the language of the screenplay. And, and, and so some things did translate, some things didn't translate. Um, uh, my first version looked like a novelization of a screenplay because it was, and it was very shallow. 
And I had to find a way to make it a full living, breathing novel with interior life for the characters, with, with descriptions of the settings and making the settings integral to the action. Um, things that typically a novelist approaches from a, a very different direction. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that would be a challenge because I feel like some most of the time it goes the other way. You know, you people are doing screenplays from right. the novel, which is easier because you're cutting out the, you know, I assume it's much easier than trying to build on to it. <laughs> but there's a lot there's a lot in 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 the book that was never in the uh, in the screenplay version. Uh, and some of the best scenes, uh, scenes that I'm fondest of, uh, again, not to give spoilers, but you've read the book. So the cemetery scene, for example, is yeah. not, it wasn't in the original screenplay. And that one, re it, it touches me, uh, what, what goes on there. Maybe it'll touch the reader too. Oh, I believe so. Yeah. It's just very, and it does have a white appeal, as you were saying in the beginning of the answer, it's, it's not specific to any uh, type of reader it's, it's just got a, it's a very wide appeal um, book and when I was told about it initially when um, we brought John Harry just kept saying our my co my co-editor co at Level Beth she just kept saying well it's just so good it's just so good because <laughs> I can't explain why it's so good I'm like what do you mean She's like I just can't explain it I can't explain why it's so good I'm like okay well I guess I'm in for a big treat so I will figure it out but she was right it is very very good She's thank like, you Thank quite, you very much. quite enthusiastic about it. So um, next question. What do you hope readers will take away from reading your book? Uh, Rabbi Adam, the protagonist, is a character who has a very clear, I hope, arc through the through the book. And and He's mired in the beginning by self-doubts and lack of confidence. He's far more acted upon than he is acting. And, and that changes over the, uh, over the course of the book. So his interior journey is as developed as his external journey. And I think, you know, given what everyone's gone through the last couple of years with the pandemic, what that's been such a whop in the head to so many of us, and obviously the world situation and everything else that's going on, it's really easy to feel that, uh, maybe too dramatic to say that we feel like we're victims, but we often feel like we have no agency and we're simply at the mercy of, of whatever wind is, is hitting us next from whatever direction. And I think the message of the book is that that's not true, that we have tremendous agency, tremendous depth of, of will and ability to act. And sure, there are some challenges that may be insurmountable, but I think those are far fewer than we sometimes assume. And uh, if anyone takes that from the book, uh, I'll be very glad because that's part of what I try to put into it. Yeah, absolutely. And there is, you know, there is a tendency to feel overwhelmed or world events and, um, and things like that. But if, you know, I just always say, well, let me control the things I can control and then I'll work out. I'll do, I'll circle out from there. I'll just keep making my circle bigger and see what I can do for myself and try not to, that's how I try not to be overwhelmed <laughs> by life and other things. But, um, very good. Well, I think that's, I think that's a really great answer. Of course, all your answers are good. You know, you know this, you, you got this. <laughs> So your fit, my fifth question is always something a little bit kind of outside the box. 
Um, yes. What did you want to be when you grow up? When you grow up, what, what did you want to be when you grew up? Not shot at on the street. We know that. No, I did not want to be. That was never one of my life goals. But there, there it is. Um, oh, I know what I'll tell you. When I was four years old. Now take out your calculators. You can all do the math. Uh, John Glenn went up into outer space, and and uh, it, obviously enormous huge big deal everyone was so excited i was crying and crying and crying i was so so sad so unhappy and and my grandmother uh said to me why why, why are you crying and and i said because i want to be the first person in outer space so what do you do how do you fix that right you can't give me a piece of candy. What, what do you do? A grandmother knows what to do. She said to me, you will be from this apartment building. You will be the first person in outer space. <laughs> and that satisfied me. That, so that made me happy. So uh, um, I don't know when I lost that ambition. Uh, but that I know was was my first professional ambition was to be an astronaut. Oh, that's so cool. That's that's very cool. Yeah. Well, grandmas always know what to say. They're so good at that. Yes, they do. Yes, grandmas they do. are awesome. They're magic. All right. Rapid fire quiz. Oh, boy. Okay. Winter, summer or winter? Summer. <gasps> do I give you more than a word or do I just give you a word? Why do you like summer? You can tell me. Um, uh, I think I would have said winter before I had to start shoveling snow and driving through it. Yeah. Now, now summer is, is seems infinitely more attractive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like winter for a few weeks, and then I'm like, okay, it's, I'm done. Let's uh, let's move back to the beach right now. Uh, sweet or savory? Oh, savory. Yeah. There's so much more range with, with I mean, okay, look, uh, you know, a golden means in the middle is good. So sweet also on occasion, but. Uh, um you've got so much more uh, choice sweet is just sweet but savory can be almost anything I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a good variety there yeah there's a more range i agree um comedy or drama comedy yeah comedy. yeah um a, a good drama too but uh you know what's that old line uh uh Tra uh, tragedy is easy, comedy is hard. I think oh, yeah. it's been attributed to just about every actor who ever died. Um, but uh, a really good—I don't—I don't mean you know a gross-out comedy, but I mean a comedy that's based on character. Um, I think can convey as much emotion and power as a drama, and my God, to make you laugh also. Um, that's why I try to. That's why I try to put humor in 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 the hidden saint, because you got to help people smile and laugh. You know that that's pretty important. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. Well, I was raised on Steve Martin and Mel Brooks, and um, absolutely the producers. The producers is my favorite uh, comedy. Uh, yeah. Maybe my favorite movie. So. Yeah, I always loved High Anxiety when I was growing up. Um, this, I don't know why, I just thought it was funny. Um, are you an early bird or a night owl? Yes. <laughs> there's, about 20, 
There's about 20 minutes when I sleep uh, around 8 a.m. That's otherwise no. No, I uh, used, used to be a night owl. And um, uh, that uh, I think that began to change uh, much, much, much later in life. But I hold the Cayuga Heights, New York regional, Howard Johnson's regional championship for coffee drinking. Uh, six and a half cups. Uh, six and a half pots, excuse me, six and a half pots in 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 six hours. Wow. So yes, I'm we still that was years ago. I'm still shaking. I bet. Um, well, I don't even have to ask you the fifth one because that's coffee or tea. Hey, bring it on, baby. The more caffeine, the better. <laughs> I'll take your having decaf, I'll take your caffeine. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't do decaf. I that's a waste of time. I just do water if I'm gonna drink decaf. Just waste of time. Water, like I'll just drink water. Well, that's amazing. I've never heard anyone drinking, and you're okay. You live. You so you survived a, a gun a gunshot to your in your direction, and you survived six and a half pots of coffee. Caffeine, right? caffeine overdose. Yeah, I mean, of course, towards towards the end, you don't you don't hold it much very uh, very long, so you're kind of getting exercise, going back and forth in the restaurant there. You're lucky but, your body uh, didn't shut down completely. <laughs> <laughs> well, it may have, and this could could be what's left. I mean, this. Uh, so it's a sad story, but yeah. true. Yeah, I think it's a fun story. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was such a, it was Absolutely. so fascinating. Yeah, it was fascinating to listen to you, your stories. And um, everyone needs to read The Hidden Saints. I don't care who you are, you need to read it. It's good. And they make good gifts too. Yeah. They should buy two or three a piece and give them to people they care about. Absolutely. But, anyone, okay. anyone that you know that likes good things will like There you go. Yeah. There you go. I agree. So what's up next for you? What you doing after this? Uh, well, uh, again, without spoilers, the book is is a complete. The book isn't a cliffhanger. The book ends with a with a real solid ending, but it puts Rabbi Adam in again without spoilers in a key position where you think, well, now what the heck is he going to do next? So so uh, I. I think the next project, which I am actually working on already, is an answer uh, answer to that question. What what the heck he does next? Nice. Well, we can all look forward to that. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks again. You too. And uh, we'll uh, we'll talk again soon. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Take, take care. Take care. Bye. Um.